And welcome to the American Girls Podcast. My name is Allison. And I'm Mary. And this is a show where we're going to be reliving the American Girls series one book at a time. I'm going to just lead with my age um, and say that I'm 32 years young and I grew up with the first generation of American Girl dolls. I am as old as Pleasant Company. R.I.P. I don't think that company actually ex- exists anymore. It doesn't. So if you're a person for whom American Girl has only ever been a Mattel product, this might not be the podcast for you. Right. We're talking to folks, we're going to use the word girls loosely and not in the condescending way that sometimes like men you work with will call you girls and then you want to slap them. I mean it in like a fun, we're aware that we're actually women, but we're reclaiming the word girls. We're talking about girls who are our age, who grew up with the first generation of American Girl dolls. I'm coming to you talking about Kirsten, unfortunately. Complicated. I'm talking about Molly. I'm talking about Samantha. I'm talking about... Addie. Felicity. Who is the one that we're going to get started with today? We'll explain more about that in a moment. And I guess Josefina, but that was after my time, but I've heard some people say she's part of the original group. The original casting, I would say, yeah. She's early enough for us to count. Before we like jump into what we're doing here, let's just take a step back and talk about the ways that we are and are not qualified to be doing this. Sure. I mean, point one, you and I are historians. That's true. So we attended the same very small college and we're not friends, which was a tragic error. And then we attended the same graduate school where we trained to be historians. And after about 24 years of education, we decided this would be the way to use it. Right. I mean, it all feels like it's all culminating in this moment. Like when you take the GREs and when you write your personal statement to your PhD program of choice, you're not only saying like, hey, please help me make a very questionable life decision in the age of neoliberalism and capitalism and a turn against the humanities, but also please prepare me to make a pop culture podcast about a deeply cherished childhood love that inspired a somewhat treacherous career path. So it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of tragic, but it's true. So you and I are historians. We're real life best friends. And a lot of these books are about friendship. So we can talk about that. What else do we have going for us? Here's what I want to say from the jump. This is what disqualifies us from a certain kind of American Girl expert. I just want to say this. I'm on Instagram. You're on Instagram. We're following all these AG accounts. And I can't help but just own from the jump. I do not know a single thing about making a doll. That's true. Part of where we got interested in doing this is we remember the original cast And there are brave women throughout this country and world today who make their own dolls. It's wild. Like, yeah, I don't understand the materials they're using. They're doing custom dolls. They're doing really cool work to kind of redress gaps in representation issues in AG, which is really cool. But nonetheless, like I look at that and I'm like, whoa, props to you. Second of all, that's not my journey in this life. Like I can't do it. No, and this will either make perfect sense to you or zero sense. We are of the exact age where we had the historical dolls and then the dolls that looked like you came out just as we got to be too old. And then there was the bitty baby period. Which I don't even, I mean, 
I'm not prepared to speak about that. I still don't understand baby baby. So we're from that very specific period where the dolls were all historical all the time. Right. Like they always existed in the past and they were a model, but it was like, we're not trying to show you, you. Like we don't care. We're not into that. (laughs) You have enough self-esteem support from 1990 (laughs) public schooling that you don't need this as well. Like Pleasant Company was looking around and they were straight up like, you know, starting in the 80s, like you have Tiffany touring malls. Like she is there to empower you. Like, she's out there, I think we're alone now, but we're not alone because Tiffany's here in your mall. Then you were, like, transitioning hardcore into, like, the Spice Girls early mid-90s. A lot of girl power stuff happening. We all know how that's problematic in some ways, empowering in others. So Pleasant Company was like, we don't really care. And we'll get into Pleasant herself later. Um, But she kind of had her own fantasies that she was working out with these initial dolls that reflect different conceptions of what American history is and who it's for. And we'll dabble in that, perhaps. Another piece I just want to throw out, and this is more my thing than your thing, I never, when I had the dolls, was the kind of gal who was like, I can't wait to throw on a Felicity outfit and be Felicity. Like, I was very here for the books, and that was the extent of my devotion. Um... You know, like I will say I was gifted these books and the dolls. That's how they came into my life by my grandmother. And she, I remember, gave them to my other, like her other granddaughters who were older than me. And I remember being like, whoa, they're so cool. Like they listen to Tupac and stuff I don't understand. And they got these books and dolls and were basically like, pass, not interested. And if they were, it was into the dolls. For me, it was like entirely about the books and the material culture of it was interesting to me and I had some of it, but it was not for me. And again, there's heroes out there on Instagram who are our age, dressing up like the dolls, taking them on trips. Trips I want to go on, take me. (laughs) But that's not my journey. We're available. Like, uh, look, you can keep the points. Like if you take us on a trip, you can keep the points, but take me on the trip. So someone who is roughly our age who really launched her career on American Girl is Shailene Woodley. Yes. And do you recall why Shailene Woodley is relevant to us today? She starred as none other than Felicity, correct? Correct, yeah. So in the 90s, we had two heroes named Felicity, one played by Carrie Russell, Mm -hmm. the other played by Shailene Woodley. And the Felicity we're interested in for our purposes right now is Felicity Merriman of Colonial Virginia, 1774. Correct. And here's how this show is going to work. So we've told you how we're both qualified and unqualified in Living Out Loud to host this podcast. We're into this because we want to go through the books one at a time and talk about what we do and don't remember from the books, what stands out to us. And we're also going to be covering AG and pop culture at the end of each show. We'll kind of talk about things online we find or just things in pop culture that we think are of interest to American girls defined broadly, this generation that we're a part of. But we're starting with Felicity, not because she was the first girl who whose books were published. We know that we know enough to know that's not true, but we've decided to go on this journey chronologically through the years in which the books were set, which is why we're starting with Felicity. Correct. And now I think it's time for our rapid recap. That's right. Hit it, Allison. This is a very quick overview in the very likely case that you don't remember very much about this book. You probably read 25 years ago. 
So Felicity is a young girl living in Colonial Virginia. Her father is a shopkeeper, and her mother is a buzzkill. We will talk more about that later. The focus of the book is Felicity's attempt to liberate a horse that she names Penny, short for independence. In the official description, it says, Felicity falls in love with a beautiful horse named Penny. When she discovers that the owner is cruel, she is determined to find a way to save Penny. Felicity gets help from the family's apprentice named Ben, who is allowed to wear pants and keeps her secrets. The book ends with Felicity freeing her beloved horse, Penny, and seeing literally no consequences for any one of her many, many, many bad actions. Thank you. That was powerful. So meet Felicity. Let's get into it. I am fresh off reading this book. And by fresh, I mean, I just finished. I've now read this book two or three times before we decided to record this. So I literally just finished it. And appropriately or not enough, I am recording this from my childhood bedroom. This book is wild. I was trying to sit in this room and remember what I thought or felt about this book when I read it for the first time when I was probably, I don't know, like seven or eight years old or something. And I don't remember a GD thing about this book. So if we want to rewind real quick, you and I both were convinced years ago that this book was set in Boston. Not only that, we convinced a third party. We basically shamed someone else who remembered it differently. And probably in hindsight, I think they probably remembered the real plot. And you and I were basically like, hey, listen, let us sit you down for a second and tell you what happens in these books. Felicity works for the Adams family, a.k.a. Nope. John and Abigail. She lives in Boston. And she overhears talk about the Boston Massacre after the fact because John Adams was involved in a, in a legal capacity. She gets really hyped on the revolution. She's torn. Lots of feelings. That's the books. And that didn't, that was not true. None of that is true. So Felicity's father is kind of right in the heart of the British Empire in that he runs a store. And we learn pretty quickly that he's selling tea, which is foreshadowing. We know something is going to go down with that. But I think as New Englanders, we were shocked by how much we're all pretending Virginia matters in the American Revolution in this book. Yeah. I mean, this is a hard thing to say, but I don't really care about any of the events in this book. Like this book, I am interested in the American Revolution. Like I have studied this in school by choice with very serious scholars of the American Revolution. This book did not hype me up to care about that event in any way, shape, or form. No. So let's talk a little bit about the people that are orbiting around Felicity. So you're not really getting a sense like that any of the real high-stakes situations of the 1770s are going to enter this book in a meaningful way. Like the family owns people who are being enslaved, the mother is clearly trapped in a very large and growing family situation. The father is probably a traitor, but everything hinges on the horse. And I think looking back, it's surprising the extent to which Felicity just can't get with social norms and the extent to which she's just constantly irritating other adults. She is so annoying in this book and I can't get over it. And I'm literally like, you know, that meme of someone who or I think it's from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he's like looking, working out all the formulas <laughs> on the wall like he's catching yeah. a serial killer. That's me with this book where I'm like, OK, let me like run through <laughs> these facts. Here's a girl who is somewhat of a tomboy, coded language. 
She wants to wear breeches. She's going after what she wants. She feels tragically misunderstood by her family. She wants to be independent. She wants to not have to feel second best to boys and their expectations of the world. This book has all the markings of something I should love. I should be so into this. I should love this character. Guess what? I'm so annoyed by her. It's like... Like, I'm worried that the mom is trapped in a loveless marriage. I have no evidence of this, but I'm just, I'm putting that out there. That's my feeling. So Felicity's best friend in the world, per her, is Ben. She steals his things. She throws him under the bus as much as possible. And basically at the end, he is somehow smitten with her. Like, the rise and fall of the story is very hard in this book. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's also, if you think about these books as something that's meant to teach you what friendship is and how to be a good friend, which is, which actually is something I think they're consciously trying to do. Basically what you would walk away from this book with is like to be a good friend means that you keep somebody's secrets. And you own pants. And you own pants. And you're willing to lend them out in a no questions asked situation. So I think part of what's tough about Felicity is everyone else around her has these really potentially interesting lives and she's the least interesting of them. Like she inserts herself in someone else's animal issue. That's her whole deal. Yeah. She wants a horse and she wants to steal it. And this book just has like privileged white girl vibes like all over it. And there's even this scene where she has a sugar cube and she's with Ben and they've got she's basically tagged along unsolicited with Ben on a delivery of a bit to Jiggy Nye, the book's villains, more on him in a moment, house. And he <laughs> has this horse, which he allegedly won in some kind of weird betting situation. No one really knows. And she's marveling at this horse and is like, whoa, this horse is beautiful. I'm so into it. And then she sneaks a sugar cube out of her little pocket somewhere, not really expre- explained. And gives it to the horse. And Ben's like, oh, my God, like, you're giving him a sugar cube? Like, that's kind of much, don't you think? And it's like, first of all, shout out to Valerie Tripp for literally picking a highly symbolic object to work into the book (laughs) in a very high-key way. But also Ben being like, uh, this is kind of crazy, don't you think? Like, and she was like, oh, this old thing is for a horse. Like, throw sugar to a horse, like a horse during a sugar crisis. Like, it's not endearing. It's not endearing. We are meant to hate Jiggy Nye, who's incredibly one-dimensional in this book. But I think one of the heroes that really doesn't get talked about a lot is Mrs. Fitchett. Yeah, fair. So us as adults looking back on this now, Mrs. Fitchett is the one who comes into the store and spills the tea on basically everyone in Colonial Williamsburg. And the father kind of tries to mute her a little bit with the gossip in front of the children. But she's somehow out and about enjoying her life, herself. She's not worried about the horse. Nope. She's on a living (laughs) spree. She's like wearing her hats. She's taking herself down to the store. She's buying this, that, and whatever. And she's like a one-woman whisper network for like a crisis that may or may not exist. Now, like I'm not making light of the fact that this guy is abusing animals and has in the past. And everybody seems to know that. But it's also like they're living in a time when 
they all own enslaved people and act like it's totally fine. So there's like a catalog of abuses in this book that go completely undiscussed. And this lady is just living in the context of the time in which she's in and is moving through spaces, luxuriating and having a great time. (laughs) Like she's obviously noting problems, but it's kind of like, yeah, anyway, like that's not my problem to solve moving on. If you could send me some oats for my horses, I'll take myself home out of here. What's striking as an adult is Felicity is actually warned by her friend, the apprentice Ben, who's maybe 11 and she's nine. (laughs) That the consequence, it's not funny, the consequence for her stealing this horse that she's named Independence is death for her and the horse. Yeah. He was like, you know, the punishment is death by hanging. And she's like, LOL. (laughs) Yep. You look back, there's no way I actually understood that when I first read it. Like, there are are so many places where subtlety would have, I think, taken this far. Yes, this book is the least subtle thing I've read in a very long time. And like, just to start with something not so small, but just the language of the book itself is so like has zero chill. So Jiggy Nye is the villain of the book and is known to be basically a drunk. He drinks rum all the time. He gets in fights. He abuses and kills his animals. And then he tans them in his tannery and is basically a 'er ne'er-do-well. This man, when he catches Felicity and her siblings, who she's basically forced to go with her to check out this horse after she's been told not to, he, his repeated like threat to everyone in this book, especially Felicity is I'll skin you alive. And that just blows my mind because like, it's like, okay, he runs a tannery and he's threatening to skin people. But so it's like, you know, Hannibal Lecter vibes, but it's also just weird because it's like, this is a book for children. Yeah, and so here's the novel that I want now that I'm not eight years old. I want Mrs. Fitchett and Jiggy Nye backstory when they first arrived in the colony. I want a fanfic that's literally like Mrs. Fidget and Jiggy Nye were star-crossed lovers in Williamsburg. And then the Seven Years' War happens, and he's like, look, I don't <laughs> want this war, but I'm in this war. The war needs me. <laughs> so do you think there's also something classist about the way everyone talks about Jiggy Nye? Because I also just feel like where he lives smells very bad. Mm-hmm. And I think for Felicity, there's an element of he shouldn't be allowed to own anything nice. Right. And it's it's fascinating that like scent is something that runs throughout this book as a marker of class and the way that... Um, good scent is equated with good class and good person. So when the book opens, the opening scene is actually describing what her dad's store smells like. All of these scents in the store of things you can buy, like tea and sugar and coffee and all kinds of stuff, apples, pine soap. And then later when they're approaching Jiggy Nye's house, everyone remarks how it's a foul business, etc. He's a foul person because the workings of his business literally smell terrible. So there's someone who is dropped into story number one, who we're going to talk about more later as he evolves or doesn't in the series. And that is Marcus. Whew, this so, is tough. This is extremely tough. So Felicity has just talked about all the wonderful things that's in her father's store. And then she doesn't want to go home because her mother is making her do basic tasks to keep the household running. And while she's interested in doing that at the store, she is not interested in doing that at home. So she's talking about how she likes to help, in inverted commas, 
Sometimes she helped Marcus count the boxes and barrels of goods that had come in from England. May I stay here for a while? Felicity asked. May I help Marcus in the storeroom? So, two things. She's probably not very helpful. (laughs) It's never helping to actually be doing the work. And Marcus is an enslaved person. He's not helping. Like, this isn't, this isn't helping dad around the stop. This is your father owns a person who is bound to work here next to an apprentice that he also temporarily owns for a period of time. Exactly. And later in the book when she's talking about um, hoping her dad would buy Penny so that Penny would be spared the abuse – her dad basically says, like, look, we have old Bess who we use for getting around. And then we have this other horse that we use for the carriage. And Marcus, like, has a, a lot on his plate as is taking <laughs> care of these two horses. And you're, and he's like, you know, he doesn't really have time for one more. And it's like, yes, that's the injustice here is asking Marcus to take on the care of a third horse. <laughs> not As opposed to using your capital to free Marcus. <laughs> exactly. It's just, there's so much weird stuff in this book about, like, freedom, independence, horses, and Marcus stands outside of this, and it's weird that even in 1991, which is, I believe, the publication year of this book, that Valerie Tripp, even though this book is for nine-year-olds, like, nine-year-olds can handle complicated conversations, that she doesn't in some way kind of point you to the fact that there's this big injustice in the house that's a bigger deal than whether or not this horse has to gets to be freed or not. And it's interesting that Ben is so acutely aware of what the consequences would be of freeing the horse. And it just kind of goes unstated that they're pretty much the same if they were to try to assess Marcus in becoming a fugitive. Exactly. And and that's why it's really weird that the comparison the book invites you to make is that the horse is a representative or stand-in for Felicity and not Marcus. Yeah. I mean, as I said to you, and I pose this question again, is Felicity a horse? So I think we're supposed to use the horse as a kind of vehicle to think about every possible question of independence for Felicity and the colony, but no one else. Yeah, I mean, it's very strange. I want to, there's a quote on page 21 when she says, Felicity's with Ben and they're looking at Penny and trying to figure out, like, you know, if they can free the horse or she's just interested. And Felicity basically does this read of the horse and says, under the wildness, there was spirit, not viciousness, just as under the mud and burrs, there was a beautiful reddish gold coat as bright and as new as a copper penny. Um, And that's when she realizes imaginably to name the horse Penny. But it's like, okay, clearly we're supposed to see like as Felicity is is transferring all of her issues onto this horse. (laughs) It's kind of weird. It's like there's a lot of moments when Felicity's like psychologically like this horse is thinking this. Like when she's trying to tame the horse, she sneaks out at night to like tame it and then eventually gets to ride it. And then that's how she frees it. And she's like, oh, the horse knows like if I like do this and the horse thinks that. And it's like, I'm sure there's a complicated psychology of horse stuff that I will never understand and have no knowledge of. But like, I don't think this nine year old who doesn't even have to care for the horses her family already owns knows a single thing about horses. And later her dad's like, how did you figure this out? And she was like, I let Penny help me. Like, I let Penny help me figure out. It's like you even erase Marcus's labor there. It's like, (laughs) stop. You have done some brave work. You've actually gone out and looked at 
what other people in the wild are saying about this book in 2018 and beyond. What have you found? So it is mostly very, very positive reviews for Felicity. People are very big fans, very, very good. But I decided to look at some of the people on the other end of the spectrum. And there's a few people who actually agree with us. And this person is eight years old. Of course. (laughs) Felicity was riding a horse that was not hers. She was sneaking out and lying to her family. She got somebody else's good shorts muddy. (laughs) She let free a horse that was not hers. Mm -hmm. All that stuff is why I don't like the book. If you buy the book, it's a good idea to have a conversation with your parents about what is happening and why. And then Girl After Our Own Hearts, she concludes with, I recommend Meet Molly. Because Molly is the biggest narc of them all. Molly is the biggest narc. And this girl is kind of a narc. And I respect that. I mean, in life, I don't want to be that person. But that's why I like I'm angry at Felicity. It's like she has turned me into a narc. It's like just oh, like I always want to side with the rebels and with people who are like living out loud and she is but it's in such a weird way where it's like I don't really know if we would be friends. No and I found another review this one from January 2009 so it's pretty far back and she's talking about how she bought this book for a niece for Christmas but she says she didn't read it until after and I quote I was so embarrassed to have to call her mother and explain that in book one, Felicity disobeys her parents repeatedly and then when discovered is not punished. She also decides to break the law, knowingly committing a crime which is punishable by hanging. And then I don't want to give any spoilers, but this is just classic Felicity. In book four, she chooses to disobey her parents and the law again to keep a promise to a friend. I'm very disappointed. Wow. And I feel like this person captures something, which is when you are reading the book, you're kind of struck by how Felicity basically can't even follow a simple direction. Yeah, it's just, it's really weird. I I don't, it's just weird because she's disobeying her parents to save a horse who's being abused. So it's like on the face of it, we should be with her and like no, none of us want to be in favor of the abuse of animals or anything of the kind, but the way that she behaves is so weird that it's just it's hard to buy that this is the thing that she would draw a line in the sand over because she's such a horse person and yet the two horses she already owns with her family get very little play in this book true well and i think we're gonna learn more about this in book two but i think where you're supposed to really enjoy it and connect with her is we as eight and nine-year-old girls spent most of our day in school or structured activities. Felicity is like a young gal about town following no one's advice, direction, or basic law. Right. And again, it's like, I should be really into that. Like, that was my vibe growing up. But, you know, I just... I think like reviewer number two, I think we're taken aback by the extent to which... And again, we're supposed to draw an obvious parallel between her and the future of Colonial Williamsburg that she does her own. Yeah. I mean, she wants to be independent and that process is chaotic and ugly and hopefully has a good result, not unlike the American Revolution. But there's also a lot of things that I just don't understand. Like, I just find myself not really understanding and and even in a more damning way, like not really caring what happens to her because 
she could be subversive in the lane that she's in and instead she's just like <laughs> banking it all on this horse thing and it's like I don't know maybe have some compassion that your dad is probably going through some stuff in the town that we're probably going to learn more about and here you are like literally throwing sugar cubes to a horse it's like I don't know I think I think we'll talk about this a lot as we get through it but I think Felicity is sort of maybe like the Sandberg of the series like she's leaning into what she wants mm. like it's a very specific kind of like girl power story she's leaning into what she wants but she doesn't understand how she's leaning on other people to get it like no. Marcus her mom her dad Ben all these people who have to basically clean up her mess it's kind of like <laughs> girl power I did it myself like I'm an entrepreneur she strikes me as one of these we have a friend <laughs> We have a friend who is like clocking Instagram all the time and is super into monitoring like mid-level marketing businesses and all kinds of stuff. And she sent us today a profile of an Instagram scammer like for for the ages who made like 500K on a book advance and then never wrote the book and is offering all these events and then asking people to like oops I sold out an event I never booked a venue can somebody like pay me more money or give me a place for free or whatever and it's like that's kind of Felicity's vibe where it's like she's a scammer like she's pretending she's a girl boss but in her deepest (laughs) heart she's probably a scammer and I hate to say that but it's just kind of where I'm at right now I would ask her this who made your leather shoes Felicity damn yeah you know what I mean yeah And I'm really looking forward to book two because she's going to learn a lesson. So I think maybe we'll get some clarity. She'll actually learn something from someone else. We hope. I mean, I guess we'll have to see in the next book in the series. Now, part of why this series, these people have stayed so fresh in our lives is they live on everywhere. American Girl has this amazing new life on Instagram, on the internet, and that's part of how we've really reconnected with the series is other people who love it because at the base of it, we love this content. And we are both over 30. You know, age is nothing but a number. Oh, we've retired R. Kelly, but <laughs> Aaliyah may stand. So we recently attended kind of, I would say, like the Met Gala for children's books. Would you? I think that's a fair thing to say. Like the looks, the enthusiasm, the energy. Yeah, it was like the Met Ball. So we were recently, very recently, just the other day, surrounded by a lot of nine-year-old girls in their finery. We were in jeans mm-hmm. and, you know, workwear. And we were at American Girl Live. And let me just be clear, like, there is no way to describe our participation and presence at this event that does not sound like the episode description of To Catch a Predator, (laughs) that, like, we put ourselves in a space with nine-year-olds and, you know, we're, like, marveling at how amazing everybody looked and, like, their style was, like, so beyond ours at 32 and they're, like, nine years old. And they were just, like, so adorable and so excited to be there in the way that we would have been at the same age. But, like, let's be real. Groupon gifted us this opportunity. We didn't know it was coming here. No. And Groupon, like, basically put it before our eyes and sort of challenged us. And in light of the fact that we're doing this show, we were like, we're going to do this for everybody. We're going to go to American Girl Live and just see what it's all about. Like, it was a whole lot. It's now been three days, two days since we attended. And I'm still like not sure what we saw, not sure what we witnessed. 
you know, it's kind of like when you are standing before really amazing art, it's very hard to explain it back later. Right. Or it's kind of like if you go to like a cult situation and you're like, huh, you know, this seems like a lot and it's they're asking me to spend money at every turn <laughs> and everything they're saying that's framed as a lesson also seems like an advertisement for their product. But at the end of the night, you're like, you know what? I believe in this. Like, sign me up. I'm ready. It was a really beautifully produced story about girl power at camp. And I will say we were able to really feel, you know, not just the 23 or 24 year difference between us and many of the other attendees, but the historical dolls really are not at the forefront anymore. And we were both sort of struck by the fact that the 2018 doll had to go to Mars for her girl power story. They were literally like, we cannot imagine a situation. (laughs) Like, we don't even know how to visualize what an empowered American girl looks like in 2019. So here you are, literally on a spaceship going to Mars. Like, end scene, that's it. You can build a robot. You can build a spaceship. But you can't be here. Like, it, it was so striking to me that they were literally like, yeah, um... You know, here's like these historicals, the historical, the, let me just say this. Here's the plot of the play that we saw. It was set in American Girl Camp. Already I'm confused and I'm like distant from it because I never attended camp myself. So it's always shrouded in mystery. Like what is summer camp? Okay, real talk. If you were a real OG nerd with these books, your parents knew better than to send you to a sleepaway camp that involved intensive activity. That's probably true. Although, honestly, and this gets to my next point of the one I identified with and why, one of these girls, so the premise is they're all getting there on the first day of camp, and they've all brought with them their favorite American Girl doll. And they are, the girls they pick are the historic dolls, but for the girl who brought the 2018 spaceship astronaut. And these girls, the dolls all come to life at various times to coach them through different challenges of being at camp. First of all, I was kind of confused because the person who plays the camp counselor was a mix between that like insurance lady flow <laughs> and Molly Shannon as superstar and like someone just like super hyped up on a four loco. And maybe this woman as an actor like needs to do that before <laughs> she comes out. Like, I don't really know what her prep is. And like, God bless. She was entertaining. All the other actors are, like, just out of college, so they're not, like, child actors playing children. They're, like, oddly 22-year-olds playing 10. I don't know, like, what age they're supposed to be. And there's, like, a nerd. There's, like, an emerging artist. There's the scientist who is, like, with the astronaut. There's um, (laughs) the the future star who is, like, the Motown historic doll. Then there's a chick who rolls in with her bag and she starts unpacking and her biggest crisis in the moment was like, God, I hope I have enough room for all my sports equipment. And Allison and I just like looked at each other and we're like, okay, here we go. So I'll just admit like I'm a queer person. So for me, it's like I'm always looking back. Part of me like looking at AG now is looking at the ways that they depict kind of like different ways of being a girl and and I have real debates with my queer friends for whom AG is also really important about which AG is the queerest. And we will maybe have that debate on this show. We have a very good friend who thinks it's Samantha. And I'm just going to say that it's Molly and like know that that's true. But in the play, the girl who is kind of a tomboy, coded language, 
uh, has a crisis and runs away and to console herself runs away to the basketball courts. It's like, okay. And her historic doll is the one that's set in the 1970s, Julie, question mark. And she comes in and basically like sings a disco song to her. And there was a disco ball in the theater and like disco plus basketball. I was like, wow, this is like really made for me. I'm very into this moment in the play. Not for you. It was not for you. I think maybe what the the play and the book have in common is in all of the American Girl scenarios, there's a real crisis and a manufactured crisis. Yes. And so the character who's very into singing and her sort of icon is Melody, who comes from the civil rights era and is a singer in the vein of dream girls and actual groups like the Supremes. She doesn't sign up on time for the talent show. Not a real crisis. No. Like an easy mistake that could have been avoided, much like many of Felicity's problems. She then turns to Melanie, who has actual civil rights causes that she fights for with Martin Luther King for how to get through. Yeah. And I think maybe what's so (laughs) interesting about all of these books is the scale of problem is always so all over. Yeah. It's really, but their reaction to each is the same. So it's like constantly like a really hyped reaction to something that can be really small. But like, okay, there's another moment where this girl at the play, in the play, is like, yeah, you know, like, I'm afraid of lightning, guys. I didn't want you to have to see my fear about stuff. Didn't want to have to admit I ever could be afraid of something. I don't like loud booms. And they're like, oh, my God, we're here for you. And then her historic doll, they all kind of, like, disappear. And the historic doll comes back in. And her historic doll is the Hawaiian girl whose name is... I think, it, I think right it's now. Nenea. Nenea. And Nenea's, like, just super cash is like, you know... I'm, I know what you mean when you're afraid of loud noises. There was a lot of loud booms that day at Pearl Harbor. And you're like, oh, my God, like these are not roughly even comparable like situations. And I think what's interesting is we can both understand that I don't know what you're really learning from those kinds of comments. And yet we read these books and we're proof that they work to make you interested in learning more. They're in, they make you interested to learn more, but I do worry that that kind of comparison of problems makes you a bad, it doesn't really help your ability to empathize because the books are both like trying to teach girls about history and the fact that you can see yourself in history as a woman, which is a very like 1970s revelation in history. But it's also trying to teach you how to be a person in the year that you find yourself in. I think, again, because you understand that you read this as a child, you were you were different books haven't changed you have I don't even know though that I really relate anymore to the adults in the book except for the town busybody because I think the parents are so one-dimensional the parents are so one-dimensional but just to like the thing that bothered me that I was saying before was like if you're a young girl reading this book or if you were watching that play that we saw in If somebody comes to you and says, like, I'm afraid or, like, I am feeling insecure because I have this problem, the way that they teach you to deal with that is basically to respond with, like, me too, but worse, like, but bigger, (laughs) where it's like, oh, yeah, like, you're afraid of lightning. Well, like, I was at Pearl Harbor. And just another callback because it was such an intense moment that got, like, zero unpacking. One of the young women is afraid of the promise of camping out of doors. And another one of the young women says to her, well, my mom camps all the time in Afghanistan. (laughs) 
And it's like it was rough. Just really, it's just really also not a good time to introduce that information about your family because now nobody knows what to do with that. Yeah, it it's it was very roughly handled. Like honest, like all of their personal revelations, it was just very very strange. Now all the kids who were there seemed super into it. So (laughs) like maybe we're just like too, obviously like we're way too old for this content for that particular, we weren't the desired audience, but there we were. But it is weird now to read these books as adults and say like, geez, do I see myself in this book anymore? Because I remember when I read these books, I think I really identified with Felicity or I thought she was really cool. And now it's like as you're saying you look back and you're like geez I really feel for these parents like they have this girl who just won't who like constantly complicates their life in unproductive ways and the dad seems to be charmed by it and the mom just seems completely like she can't even imagine why Felicity would have an issue with the roles that have been prescribed for the genders in Williamsburg I will say this if I had if I was an apprentice in a precarious situation and you took my church pants to go ride a horse you didn't own, you're cut out. Yeah. Because we learn later that Ben is getting reprimanded, which is really serious when you're an apprentice for not having the right pants for church. And Felicity's giggling in the back. And there's kind of a line in the beginning of the book where she's like, Ben is so quiet, I forget he exists. And it's like the stage is being set for Narcissus Felicity to take over his life. Yeah, and it's going to happen. <laughs> also because he's a social inferior to their family, so she can control him. Right. It's like back to that lean on thing. Like she's leaning <laughs> on literally everyone in this book. Even her toddler brother, she's like, and you will be coming with me to see this violent <laughs> horse. Thank you. So I will say this, and we will talk about this more as we evolve in our conversation about Felicity. I know that a lot of why I was so charmed by her is she had the best accessories the doll and this is also where we differ right quite a bit that's true i know that she has a cape that is going to come out we haven't seen it yet but it's a very fierce cape and i do remember that being an accessory that you could buy for the book i don't think it's in this book in any of the illustrations i guess we'll see i know the fall is upon us in this book or i mean i think we end the book in the fall so maybe the cape will come out alice and maybe you'll get to see it next book I still have Felicity's cape that I made with my mother. It's dark red. Into it. And I think we'll have to post on our IG your photos of you and capes at historic sites. Of course. Like, we love to go to house museums. We love going to historic sites together. We just went on a vacation to a Shaker site this past summer that was kind of wild. Um, One of the tour guys just low-key told us that gravity was past tense. She was like, yeah, anyway... (laughs) The floor is pitched in this laundry room because, you know, this was back when people believed in gravity. (laughs) She saw Wicked and she took something really different. (laughs) She walked away from that musical with a different takeaway. We also met another really lovely person that I'm convinced is Mother Anne reincarnated. Mm -hmm. Still with that. So anyway, that's our life outside of this podcast. We love doing stuff like that. Allison will put on historic clothes at historic spaces if allowed and sometimes if not allowed. Correct. And you know, don't have it out if it's not for everybody to put on. We also want to have time each episode where we talk about American Girl out in the culture. 
Yeah. So we, we want to get into pop culture AG in kind of the last segment on our show. And this is a space where we're going to kind of talk about our feature AG content we find online or in the wild that's of interest and or content of interest to AGs today. So for our first thing that we want to feature is something that you saw, Allison, online. That's correct. And so we mentioned at the top that we we are, we're kind of just a little bit too old to really have had the dolls that looked like us. I got Josefina when I was too old to get Josefina, but we'll talk about that some other time. And part of what was a big, big turn, especially with Mattel acquiring the company that makes American Girl dolls, was having dolls that looked like you. And so in a lot of ways, this has been really, really important because it gives people who don't often feel represented an opportunity to have something to really make up all these creative stories. And they've really expanded the universe a lot, but there's still places they haven't gone. So we recently signed a petition. We hope that you'll support it too. And it's on change.org. And it comes from a mother named Beth Scott, and she is trying to get the Mattel Corporation to make an American Girl doll that will look like her daughter who has Down syndrome. So they're about 6,000 signatures short. They're trying to get Mattel to respond to this. And this has been one of a few different petitions that we've seen. This is just the most recent to really try to expand and to make sure that everybody feels like they can be part of and represented in these stories. Right. And it's really important for people to take this seriously because even though you might just think like this is a doll company, like issues of representation really, really and truly matter. If you see someone like you out in the world, it makes you feel much more secure in yourself and can really just make a huge difference. And as long as American Girl has existed, it's been wrapped up in issues of representation and questions about inequality. So not only the representation of the people and cultures that get featured in a doll and in character, but also the inequalities of who has access to these dolls and these books. And these are all things that Allison and I take really seriously. So we just want to, as our first thing, like point everyone to this petition. This mom is doing something really beautiful and it's really easy to support her efforts. And we hope you'll all join us in doing that. Absolutely. The second thing that I want to get into is by no means as serious as what we've just said. And I just want to say from the jump, I basically was like, Allison, I have to talk about this. It has nothing to do with American Girl, but it's content that is 100% of interest to American Girls of our generation. And it's something that's also about inequality. And it really grinds my gears. And every single year I get really upset when this cycle comes around. And Allison knows this. She prepares herself for this. And that's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I do. I, yeah, I'm prepared. I know what this okay. is. Okay, Allison, I know you've heard this 500 times from me. Here we go again. First of all, Karen Carpenter has never been considered for inclusion in this body. Point one. Which, which is why we've talked about it's just illegitimate from the start. This institution is crap and it's total garbage and it's a white male fantasy. And I know that. Like, I know that in my heart. And I know that they're basically, it's an old boys club. They only vote in the people that they care about. And only, you know, a very few women get voted in. And it's not at all representative. And people of color are not voted in in the same numbers or in as timely a manner. It's 
like trash. Like I know that. And yet people, other people take it seriously and it's a marker of recognition that matters in certain areas. So I don't think that they have any street cred at all. And which is why it blows my mind that this bothers me every year. It's like, I know it doesn't matter. Like the year Nirvana got voted in and Bikini Kill has never even been considered. I literally wanted to throw my computer across the room. But what's the specific acts this year? Okay. So they announced, you know, as they do, they announce their ballot and then there's voting that goes on and it's like public voting. And then they accept a limited number of people off the ballot every year. So there are certain bands that hang out on the ballot for years. Karen Carpenter's never even been considered. Don't want to go back to that, but it does really bother me. And I'm just putting that out there. Anyway, this year they announced finally who was accepted last month. And I just want to get into that. So this is the incoming class of 2019. The Cure, Def Leppard, Radiohead, Roxy Music, The Zombies, Stevie Nicks, and Janet Jackson. Okay, so some of this is good. No, let me get into this. This is why I'm upset. I'm almost throwing my Felicity book across the room. I am so charged up about this, Allison. Janet Jackson. Let me just pause after I say her name. Janet Jackson. Dare I say, this is kind of Felicity behavior. No, but and this is what I'm saying. That's why I should like Felicity. It's like, I get it. I'm ready to boycott stuff. I'm ready to free a horse. I'm ready to like do whatever, but she just annoys me. Okay, Janet Jackson has contributed so much to our culture, to music, to all kinds of stuff. She has done so many important things in American culture. Her albums are amazing. I am so sick of Janet Jackson not getting the respect she deserves. I am over it. She has been on this ballot for two years. She's finally getting in this year. Good for her. If I were her, I would show up that evening I would go up after they'd give me, pay me tribute, and I would spike their microphone on the stage and be like, <laughs> screw everyone. I don't even need this. As you know, I was very upset this last year on the Super Bowl, which I barely even, I don't follow football. I don't understand it. Justin Timberlake was the halftime show. And I won't even get into all the ways that that was inappropriate and the ways that he has rewritten the, his history of his relationship with Prince to reflect that he admired Prince and didn't make fun of him during his lifetime, which he did. I want to talk about the social media response to this occasion, which is that Twitter bravely called it Janet Jackson Appreciation (laughs) Day. And people were out there putting out scholarship that was amazing about all the times that Justin Timberlake advanced his own career by denigrating women in his life, including Britney Spears, but also, and more importantly, Janet Jackson, whose career was ruined after that event, and he abandoned her. He never apologized to her publicly. I am so angry about this, and it's just she stands in for so many inequalities in pop culture. I just need to say that. And also, so the Hall of Fame is like your Jiggy and I. It is. I'm like so mad. And even Stevie Nicks getting in, she got. She is the first woman to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist, in addition to being in as a band member. So she was inducted with Fleetwood Mac years ago, but she's getting in as a solo member. She also low key, according to you know, like probably not real reports I've read on sketchy websites, had Lindsey Buckingham, her former partner, fired from Fleetwood Mac. So 
I mean, she's out here like doing it and she's living large and I'm happy that she also was admitted. But the way that women in rock and in music and particularly women of color are denigrated, like I've had enough. Please go listen to Janet Jackson's albums. Just meditate on that. Like get at me. I would love to hear your thoughts. Only if positive about Janet. Thank you. That's all I have to say. I think our recommended mixtape would be Control paired with Book One. Control should be paired with book one. Um, Yeah, I'm trying. Now I'm like thinking, wow, what Janet tracks would go. I mean, yeah, I don't even I don't think highly enough of Felicity to put her in the same sentence with Janet Jackson right now. But control is a good start. If just to think about the situation of the American colonies. I I know the true Felicity Jam. What have you done for me lately? Because it's (laughs) never enough. Yeah. That's when true. you're a selfish nine-year-old, the answer is never enough. The answer is absolutely nothing. Felicity, she doesn't deserve Janet, but like she could learn a lot from Janet. Oh, I totally agree. Learn how to evolve. Like Janet has reinvented herself many times, but she's kept the same kind of fire in her music and her commitment to independence and what it means to be a woman and also like not denigrate the women who came before you to try to make your own way, which is like a classic Felicity move. So I want to say, you know, by way of getting people hyped for book two. So Felicity, please do remember she is nine years old. Yeah. Nine is quite young. We think of people in the past as treating children like smaller adults and to a degree that is true, but this is the start of the period where that's changing. Felicity gets told by her mother, you are near to 10. That's old enough to know what's a danger to you and too old to be acting careless and childish. I know a lot of people who are 35 who could probably hear that. Who probably need to hear that. (laughs) Like you are near to 40. You are near (laughs) to 40. (laughs) Pull it together. (laughs) So we'll give her some slack because she's going to be coming up against some bigger harder truths and some loose teeth in book two damn what a teaser (laughs) thanks all right so i think that's it i think we've wrapped up all we need to say about meet felicity and you've gotten a chance to meet us we'll see you in episode two Yes, and if you'd like to connect with us, we are on most relevant forms of social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we'd love for you to connect with us there or to drop us a line at americangirlspod at gmail.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for listening. We really want to hear from you, and we will see you all for book two. Absolutely, and don't be a Jiggy Nye. Don't be a Justin Timberlake also. Oh, very true. Very true. Thank you.